Late Night Conversations. Late Night Conversations. Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. and would-be parents, please make sure that you are tuned in right now because we are speaking the touchy but very uh, important uh, topic of custody. A lot of... uh you know, couples when they are still in love and they have their children, things are okay. But the moment the relationship goes sour or the moment one partner disappears and the next partner gets another partner, that's when things start getting tricky if there are children in that relationship. And that's where things like uh, custody, uh, acquiring custody and also termination of custody come in. And this is what we are talking about right now. We've got Mervyn Vermeulen, who is a practicing attorney and a certified family mediator and founder of for Mullen Attorneys. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, Mervyn. Thank you very much for giving us your time during this public holiday. I think it means a lot to all of us on the A-team. And uh, that makes you an A-team member, right? Because you're also not new to this side of the radio. No, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know... Let's talk firstly about parents' responsibilities and rights when it comes to the Children's Act of uh, Children's Act 38 of 2005. Yes, yeah, sure. So the, the Children's Act really came in 2005. It really came into law a, a year or two after that, um, and it introduced this concept of parental responsibilities and rights, which um, replaced the, the old way of, of talking about things of custody and access. You know. Um, we still talk about custody and access in, in casual conversation or colloquially, but the legal term really is um, parental responsibilities and rights. And that consists of four subspecies of rights and responsibilities. And that's guardianship, contact, maintenance, and, um, and care. And those four really go together and form this concept that is known as parental responsibilities and rights. Mm. Now, what happens in the case that uh, one of the parents, AWOLs, doesn't pay maintenance, doesn't care for the child, um, is is just not there physically, financially, emotionally, and mentally for the child? What happens in that case? Certainly. Well, the, the Act really makes provision for a couple of different scenarios. The... Um, we, we really distinguish in, in South African law between two scenarios, namely one where the parents are married at the time of the birth, and, and secondly, if the parents are not married. And one must first look at the implications of whether there was a marriage at the time of the birth or not. Um, and if you'll allow me to start there, I'll, I'll kind of take you through the acquisition and then, then necessarily the termination mm. uh, in such a scenario. If the, the parents are not married at the time of the birth, the mom obtains full parental responsibilities and rights at the date of birth. The dad has a few further hoops to jump, whether or regardless of whether he is the biological father. And and that can be found in Section 21 of the Children's Act, and it basically refers to how invested is this father in in the child. 
Does he consent to be identified as the father? Does he contribute to the child's upbringing? Does he contribute to uh, maintenance? If those three tests are met, or if he was living with the mother in a permanent life partnership, the father then has rights. Um, in respect of a married couple, the father automatically then acquires rights. So to, to kind of come back and answer your question, in the case of an unmarried father, if he, after the birth, just simply disappears, um, he does not necessarily acquire rights in terms of the Children's Act in the first place. A married father, on the other hand, or a married mother, um, for, for that matter, um, can then... Um, be challenged in court in terms of their parental responsibilities and rights, and there are then a number of hoops that the challenging parent needs to jump through to satisfy the court that the termination would be in the best interest of the child. So there are a couple of scenarios that you've painted for us. I'd like to remind um, the A-teamers that they are so more than welcome to uh, to give us their to give us their experience because I know there's a lot of us who are parents and um, the the question that we're posing is that I mean would you go for a termination of uh, custody um, if one of the partners was not. Um, pulling their weight when it comes to the children. And now that we understand that if you are not in a full-time partnership or you are a lifetime partnership with your partner or you are not married, then you actually don't have rights over the child as the father. The rights automatically are ceded to the mother. ATMS, the number to dial is 011-714-4045 or 0891-104207. You can also SMS on 41391 on Twitter. You can comment at SFM Radio at Patricia N. and Uli. We are speaking to certified family mediator and founder and of uh, Fermulen Attorneys, and uh, that is uh, Mervyn Fermulen. Mervyn, it's very interesting, and uh, it, it would seem very biased towards the mothers, the fact that if you, as the father, are not married or in a lifetime partnership with the mother, then you actually don't have rights. It, it seems biased and skewed towards favoring the females. Yes, to, to an extent. Um, if one considers the, the case of unmarried fathers, certainly. Um, one, one has to, unfortunately, um, despite the fact that we are in a constitutional dispensation and everyone is equal before the law, um, the, the legislators still, for very, very good reason, I think, considered this issue of unmarried fathers. And I, I think one of the main reasons, and that, that's simply my opinion, that it's not really based on anything, is, is the, the obvious easy go-to, and, and that's the physiological um, aspect behind it for an infant who has just been born, for example, has a great need for, for their mother. Not to say that under certain circumstances, the father cannot necessarily be there for a newborn. Um, however, in most scenarios, the newborn would be uh, in the primary care of the mother. Mm. 
Now, there's a case study here, and I'd like us to look at it, right? And uh, a lady says that the biological father of her children has had no contact nor paid maintenance for the children since their divorce, which was five years ago. And she has since remarried, and her current husband is a father figure to her children. And uh, there is, is there any alternative manner to sharing custody of the children with her current husband, or is adoption the only option to make him their leader? legal guardian absolutely so, uh, so in terms of those kinds of scenarios one one could look at uh, parental responsibilities and rights agreement uh, which is basically an agreement where a holder of parental responsibilities and rights very importantly a sole holder of parental responsibilities and rights would delegate some of those rights to a, a third party. Um, a, a very good example would be the case of a single mother or father who needs assistance with the, the children and would then delegate to granny or grandpa in terms of a Section 22 agreement or in, case, in terms of your case study to a, a new spouse. That's obviously quite tricky if the biological parents still has their their responsibilities and rights because the the court will always ask well where is the biological parent do they not have an interest in this do they not have a say in this so what we see practically in most cases is that one has to first uh, terminate the responsibilities and rights of the uh, disinterested parent before you can then allocate to a third party in terms of a Section 22 agreement unless the disinterested party is willing to sign on the dotted line and ratify the agreement. Okay, so now in this in this particular case study, it seems this uh, father of these kids, the biological father, has uh, disappeared for five years and it might be difficult to trace and find him to be able to sign on the dotted line. So what would the process be of terminating the biological father's um, custody over the children? Those types of applications can only be heard by a court. And specifically in the case where one wants to terminate someone's guardianship over a child, and guardianship is a very, very profound and important concept of decision-making and administrative care. Uh, I don't want to use the word care because it encroaches on the actual concept of care, uh, but really the administrative side and the financial side of, of a child's interests. Um, apart from the issue of maintenance, that can only be terminated by a high court. Now, in the case where a, a disinterested parent would have disappeared, um, the court rules fortunately make, uh, have mechanisms and make provision for uh, a process called substituted service, where if you cannot locate someone and you have given good reasons to the court why you can't locate them and the attempts you have made to locate them, the court can then issue an order which says you can serve on them to a last known email address or even via WhatsApp. I've served divorce summonses previously or via Facebook or via a publication in the Government Gazette and the newspapers. So fortunately for the person in your case study whose uh, other parent has actually just disappeared, there is a remedy. Unfortunately, it is a bit of an extra hoop to jump through.
So, you know, there's also the issue of if, uh, you know, um, you have the kids with the current uh, um, unabridged birth certificates and you want to travel outside of the country, does then terminating this AWOL's father's um, custody over the children also give total guardianship and custodianship for the single mother to be able to travel outside of the country without this particular husband or father who has AWOL'd? Absolutely it does. Um, guardianship is, is set out in Section 18.3 of the Children's Act. And there are certain aspects of guardianship which you cannot exercise without the consent of your uh, of the children's other parent. And, and t- t- the two most notable ones are applications for passports, which is a, a hotbed of controversy in terms of children's litigation, as well as departure from the Republic. If the other parent's right of guardianship or responsibility of guardianship, let's rather look at it from the responsibility point of view, has been terminated, the sole holder, the remaining parent, would then have carte blanche to leave the Republic with the children, apply for a passport, and even immigrate if the need arises. Is this a a, a lengthy process? Is it also a costly process to do? It depends. Unfortunately, uh, the the question really amounts to, um, respectfully, how long is a piece of string because of all the variables that can be at play. So in the event where a parent has not necessarily disappeared, but they simply have no interest in the child, um, then the order is taken by consent to terminate their responsibilities and rights. In that case, it is a fairly predictable, fairly cost-effective, um, relatively speaking, process. Um, unfortunately, in cases where the parent has completely absconded, it becomes a bit more difficult in that there is the extra element of having to do a substituted service application. In those cases, I've, I've seen it in a very recent case um, that I've, I was dealing with where the other parent, the absconding parent, did not uh, oppose the relief sort. However, the family advocate, which is a state institution which looks after the best interests of children, um, they have to basically rubber stamp anything that goes to the high court or the children's court as being in the best interest of the child. Uh, and they don't necessarily rubber stamp it unless they are completely satisfied that it is. And in this case, even though it wasn't opposed, the family advocate said, look, I want to do an investigation, which can take some time. In cases where the disinterested parent can still be located and they perhaps come back and they oppose the application, then it really can become a fairly lengthy, fairly costly uh, court battle because the spouse asking for, or the parent at at the the very least, uh, asking the court that the other parent's uh, rights and responsibilities be terminated would have to prove that it is in the best interest of the child. And that is a very, very difficult onus to actually um, get past in opposed litigation. A good example would be the the scenario where a mother would get a psychologist to do an evaluation and come with a recommendation. The father would then go and get their own psychologist 
who does a, a completely diametrically opposite recommendation finding based on the exact same facts. And uh, that can unfortunately make it quite a lengthy and grueling procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, in practical terms, in cases where the parent has simply vanished um, and they don't come back and oppose it, I would say a, a fair ballpark would, would be that the matter would span over a couple of months um, rather than a couple of years. Unfortunately, the wheels do turn slowly when it comes to litigation. Okay, so now back to the case study. We've looked at the incident as to how the mother would be able to um, you know, terminate the custodianship over the the father who has biological father who has AWOLD. But now how does the mother then give responsibility of maintenance and uh, guardianship and childcare to the stepfather who she's now married to? What is the process there? Thank goodness this explanation will be a much shorter than the previous <laughs> one because now we've come to the easy part. Um, that is a simple contract that is entered into between the two parties. It's called a Section 22 agreement. Uh, and in a Section 22 agreement, the uh, mother can then um, assign um, parental responsibilities and rights to the uh, stepfather. Now, this agreement still has to be rubber stamped by uh, the Family Advocates Office, and in most cases, those are taken to the High Court to be made an order of court. Um, this takes some time, but luckily it's a very predictable process because the role players are different. In the first scenario, you're, you're dealing with a potential recalcitrant third party in the form of the other um, parent. In this case of a Section 22, you're sitting with two people who want the exact same thing. They both want the parental responsibilities and rights to be shared between them and not just to vest uh, in mom necessarily. So that makes the process a, a lot cheaper and a lot quicker and a lot less traumatic, obviously. Does this then mean uh, that this new guardian who now acquires guardianship or custody over these children is now um, taking the role of a father? Can surnames be changed? Um, Can they then, you know, say that they are the actual father? Well, yes, Uh, in in all senses of, of the word. Um, the, it's a very, very interesting, and I suppose it's a philosophical discussion really of what constitutes a father. Is it biological or is it more an emotional uh, attachment that forms between someone who's not necessarily a blood relative? But once this party has obtained guardianship, care, contact, and maintenance obligations and rights, they are, for all intents and purposes, um, acting as a father to to the um, to the children. And in terms of the the question with regards to uh, the changing of the surname, yes, certainly that is the case. However, um, it comes with a caveat. It is a a fairly um, fraught administrative process to to have it done. I'm I'm busy with one of those matters now and unfortunately the administration 
um, related to it, uh, very, very time-consuming and, and very bureaucratic. Mm. And you know, in the, in the what's the difference between the Section Twenty Two and uh, adoption? Wow! Now this is a very, very interesting um, discussion. So adoption has a prerequisite um, that the child must be adoptable. Um, it's it's a, a term contained in the Children's Act, and that's in Section 230 of the Children's Act. And there are a certain number, uh, seven in fact, um, parameters where um, that need to apply before one can consider adoption. And these are issues such as if the, the child is an orphan or the whereabouts of the ch- child's parents or guardian cannot be established, or the child has been abandoned, um, etc., etc. Now, adoption is a very, very, um, how shall I put it, it's a very all-encompassing process where the minute you have adopted a child, um, you are de facto their parent in all senses of the word. Now, the big difference between adoption and uh, a Section 22 agreement, save for the fact that uh, adoption has a limited um, scope of application, is that a Section 22 agreement can be done piecemeal. Uh, and this is a very interesting scenario. Um, I've seen, for example, where um, single moms and their new partner would consult with me, and the mom would, for example, say, I'm comfortable giving my new partner the right of contact and the obligation to pay maintenance, but I'm not comfortable giving them the right to guardianship or the obligation of guardianship. I want to retain guardianship. And provided that the parties agree, um, and the court is obviously satisfied that it's in the, the best interests of the child, um, then those parental responsibilities and rights can be divested in a piecemeal fashion where an adoption is, you know, everything. These things do get tricky. They really do get tricky. I'd like to remind our um, A-teamers that we are talking about the acquisition and termination of custody when it comes to who is responsible financially, emotionally, physically and mentally for children that we have uh, brought onto earth. I think parents need to step up, but sometimes others just don't step up. So we are talking to um, attorney uh, Mervyn Vermeulen, who is is also a certified family mediator and the founder of Vermeulen Attorneys. You can send us an SMS on 41391 or you can call on 0891-104-207. Mervyn, back to this case study of ours, right? So what happens, and this sounds horrible, but what happens if then this partner or this new husband who's now the trend stepfather decides, ah, you know, I'm no longer in love with this woman. These are not my kids and we are divorcing. I no longer want to be their guardian. This lady has removed custodianship over the biological father. And Mm. now there's the stepfather who has uh, custodianship. Can she then remove that as well at a later stage? Certainly. Um, She can then approach the... Um, the court again in terms of a Section 28 um, agreement, I'm, I'm sure she would uh, then be eligible for some sort of frequent flyer miles from the attorneys dealing with the matter. Um, but 
she certainly can. Um, any person who holds parental responsibilities and rights over a child can have those parental responsibilities and rights challenged in terms of Section 28 of the Act. And if the court finds that it's in the best interest of the child for their responsibilities and rights to be terminated, um, the court is within its power to actually terminate those rights. What's very, very interesting from the scenario that you've just raised, and just as as an aside, in this kind of case, um, the mom, until such a time as the stepfather's parental responsibilities and rights have been terminated, still has recourse against the stepfather for maintenance, obviously. Mm. Sure. Yeah, it, it does get tricky, right? It really, really Absolutely. does get tricky. Right now, we're looking at it on a on, on a legal perspective, but I'm sure people would come in with different and various uh, traditional aspects of such uh, issues. Let's take a bit of a break. We, when we come back, I'd like us to just go through all these um, uh, rights and responsibilities of parents and possibly explain to South African parents that Running away is not the answer, but if you do, you can get terminated. This is SAFM leading the late night conversation. Wow, you almost caught me off guard singing there. Mike and the Mechanics over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. What good memories this song brings to me. Yes, I was alive then. I hope Ngonde is listening because he, Ngonde is always the quick one to remind me how young I am. Ngonde, I am not young. Dimdala Ngonde. <laughs> well, this is SAFM Late Night Conversations and we are the A-team at this time of the evening. So make sure that you are interacting with us as we talk the acquisition and termination of custody. We've got uh, Mervyn Fermulen, who's a practicing attorney and a certified family mediator and founder of Fermulen Attorneys. We are able to take your calls. We are able to interact with you. Let's talk about this whole issue of custody when it comes to children. The number to dial is 011-714-4045 or 0891-104-207. Alternatively, you can SMS on 41391. SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50. Unfortunately, it seems our WhatsApp line is still not working. So let's just keep SMSing or going on social media platforms at SAFM Radio at Patricia N. Nduli. That's where you can get us. So remember, um, just a bit after 11, we're going to have Makosi Skakane, who's going to be our clairvoyant medium for this evening. She's going to be able to give you a reading. Um, unfortunately, no readings are done via SMSs or via social media. You need to call in, give Makosis Kakani your first and last name, and then she picks up from your energies and is able to give you a reading. So that number, once again, 0891-104-207. Mervyn, thank you very much for still giving us your time. It really means a lot to us. Let us continue here on this issue of uh, custody. You know... it's 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 one of those things, right, that we as parents automatically feel that we've got the right to our children because we are the biological parents. But some other fathers, especially fathers, ex- if they were not married to the mother, might argue that I'm the father of this child, but I'm not able to contribute financially towards this child. Does that mean then I do not have rights to visit my child or rights to uh, play a significant role in uh, uh, raising or protecting my child? 
Right, that's a very, very interesting question. And I'd actually like to refer you to, to Section 21 of the Act. I, I'll go into it. It's not too, uh, too technical, um, and it won't take too long. So let, let me quickly unpack it for you. So if a unmarried father, at the time of the birth of the child, is living with the mom in a permanent life partnership, then that father obtains parental responsibilities and rights immediately with no further ado. That's the first aspect. The second aspect comes in with regards to fathers who are not living with the mom in a permanent life partnership um, at the date of the birth. For those fathers, they have three um, hoops to jump. The, the first hoop is, is quite simple. Um, one, they must, be, they must consent to be identified as the father. Um, so this simply means that they publicly acknowledge, yes, I am the dad of this child. Now, the second aspect is once again not one which is financially bound. It relates to the child's upbringing. And the, the act reads specifically as follows, contributes or has attempted in good faith to contribute to the child's upbringing for a reasonable period. Now, upbringing relates to actually being there for the child. It's not a financial aspect necessarily, and we can go through the definition of care a little bit later, and I think a lot of upbringing falls under the concept of care um, in the Children's Act. And then the third one, and I think this is the contentious one, um, is that the father must have contributed or must contribute or has attempted in good faith to contribute towards expenses in connection with the maintenance of the child for a reasonable period. Now, what one must remember in terms of contributing to maintenance is that it, it always um, has regard to the actual means of the parties. So if the father is unemployed and is, for example, claiming UIF or is um, the recipient of a social grant, and he utilizes some of those funds towards the maintenance of the child, and he does so in good faith, um, I simply can't see why that father would be penalized by a court in terms of Section 21. Hmm. Now, I've got a question here from an A-teamer, and uh, the A-teamer's name is Muketsi, and he's all the way in Bloemfontein. He says, good evening, uh, Patricia and the guest. I have two daughters with my ex, and I was paying maintenance while I was employed, but she always denied me access to my churn. Even today, she's still denying me access to my churn, so I don't know what to do. Um, what can I do? And especially because she gives me no reason. Certainly. Um, in terms of that, the, the easiest um, to do is, is to simply approach the Children's Court. Um, every single magistrate's court in the Republic, um, in this case it would be uh, Bloemfontein Magistrate's Court, um, is a Children's Court. Now, what would happen is one would approach the Children's Court in what's known as a Form 2 application. It's a fill-in form that you get from the court where you set out the exact circumstances and the scenario, and the court will then commence the proceedings in, in terms of the provisions of the, of the Children's Act. Now, 
the the nice thing about a children's court, I must um, I must say, you know, and, and this is coming from from an attorney who who does this on a day to day basis. I'm actually um, arguing against myself. Is that one doesn't necessarily need an attorney to approach the children's court. Um, it is a fairly user friendly court, and in terms of the the processes. It is designed by its very nature to be a, a almost a safe environment court, if I can put it in, in inverted commas. So very frequently proceedings will take place in an office rather than a courtroom because it's designed not to be so scary for small children. Um, so quite simply, your listener can approach the children's court. Um, it is, uh, in, in fact, in terms of the Children's Act, if he... If it is established that he has parental responsibilities and rights and there is perhaps a court order, it is a criminal offence to withhold contact. Hmm. So mothers beware, do not do that. Do not keep the fathers of your children away from their children because they can take it to court and it is deemed a criminal offence. Be where there's another a teamer here and this one is quite a sad uh, one uh, a teamer who prefers to be anonymous says a friend of mine had a son who is 10 years old the father refused to pay maintenance until taken to court and forced to pay payment was sporadic and this happened between 2018 and 2019 it was not paid for 10 months at some point she went to court and he made arrangements to pay he asked to see the child around 2018 and she allowed the boy to stay with the father for that December vacation. He didn't make any contact until the end of 2019 wanting the child for the vacation. She allowed it, but he didn't return the child, despite many unanswered calls and messages. Instead, he took the child out of school without her knowledge. This is highly irresponsible of the school and registered him at another school. She has approached legal aid, but due to the lockdown, she hasn't got any assistance. What recourse does she have? Yeah. Sure. I'm, I'm also like, wow. Yeah, wow. There's, there's mm. quite a lot to unpack there. Um, so I think let's, to answer that, uh, that question and to address the scenario, I think one must consider the, uh, the parental responsibilities and rights Cumulatively. Now, now, firstly, let's talk about the contact aspects. When it comes to contact, one of the aspects arising from it is, is the issue of primary residence. Now, courts are not fond of unnecessarily disrupting a child's primary residence. So the, the theory behind it is if a child has been living quite peacefully with one parent for a significant period of time, unless there are very compelling reasons to do so, the, the child should not necessarily be, be removed um, from that parent's uh, primary residence. So I think in terms of the return of the child to um, the, uh, the listener's care, um, that is something that a, a court can certainly assist with. Then I think let's go to the, the issue of the, the school. Now, this is a very, very interesting and, and actually a somewhat contentious issue. Um, and if my memory serves, I think it's Section 31. Yes, it is. Uh, my memory does do me well, even late on a public holiday. <laughs> um, Section 31 deals with major decisions 
um, involving a child. And it's very, very interesting the way it's worded. You'll remember earlier I mentioned to you um, in terms of passports and leaving the country um, that in those cases you need the written consent of, of both parties. However, when it comes to aspects which do not fall within that list, uh, the list where we find leaving the country and applying for a passport, then there's a bit of a a lower threshold that must be um, adhered to. And and that threshold can be found in Section uh, 31.2a. And and briefly, it's the following, uh, and I'll read verbatim from the Act. Before a person holding parental responsibilities and rights in respect of a child takes any decision, uh, contemplated in paragraph B, which is a major decision, that person must give due consideration to any views and wishes expressed by any co-holder of parental responsibilities and rights in respect to the child. So I would venture to say that the, the father taking the child out of the school where presumably the child is quite peacefully attending and quite happy and all the rest, and putting the child in another school is is very regular. Um, And I think that really gives your listener or your listener's friend, in fact, um, good grounds to actually approach the the children's court. Um, Luckily for all of us in the Republic, the Children's Court has very, very wide powers. The only thing that the Children's Court cannot um, necessarily do is, is strip someone of, of their guardianship. That that really falls to, to the High Court. But apart from that, the Children's Court has very wide powers. And in these cases, especially these very, very difficult, um, very emotional cases, um, they have social workers attached to most of these courts who actually step in and they investigate and they do home visits and it's a very, very involved procedure. Um, yeah, unfortunately, it's a very, very complex um, scenario that your your listener's uh, friend is, is dealing with and uh, uh, my absolute sympathy is with them, but there is help. The help is in the form of the Children's Court and I think that's a very good reason to approach the Children's Court. Definitely, I'm glad that there is help. But one of the things that gives me major concern is if the mother withholds a visitation rights to a father that is a legal uh, guardian or legal has legal custody over a child, and that can be a, a criminal ref- offence for withholding the visitation rights, would this abduction, and I, I use the word loosely in inverted commas, what this father did, would that not be a criminal offence? Yes and no. Um, I think the, the real crux of the matter is, you know, did the father, is it a situation where it's contemplated that he withheld contact, or is it necessarily one where he has taken the law into his own hands? And I think it is the latter. And because it is the latter, the courts are, are generally um, disposed to restoring the status quo, quo ante, in other words, the prevailing situation before he stepped in and took the law into his own hands, um, provided that that is still tenable. The, the big caveat on that is just that one cannot allow an excessive period of time to go past. Um, if 
it's a case of a month or two or even three months, I think the court will generally um, be very, very favorably disposed to the, the parent wanting to restore the state of affairs. Um, in the case where it has gone on longer, um, it, it is a bit more more tricky. Now, one of the things that one must consider with this whole aspect of a criminal offence is that it generally refers to cases where, where there is a court order. Now, that falls from uh, chapter or sections, excuse me, it's, it's getting quite late, <laughs> 35 <laughs> of the Children's Act, Mm-hmm. Um, and it's grounded in the common law um, contempt of court. You know, there is a court order, you're not obeying it, etc., etc. So one must be very, very careful to to just make sure that we really ring fence um, the aspects of um, withholding contact to scenarios where there is a court order. If there is no court order, once again, the children's court is the place to go. Okay. So in terms of these termination and acquisition of custody, can we seek help from legal aid? Absolutely, uh, provided that, that one meets the means test for legal aid. Um, in other words, a person approaching legal aid needs to earn uh, less than a specified threshold um, and I am not 100% up to date on what the legal aid means test is now, but if you give me two seconds, I will probably be able to tell you. Um, and I think it, the last time I checked, I think it was about 6500 per month or less. Mm-hmm. Um, but I speak under correction. Okay. You know, this has been quite an interesting topic. And uh, as I close off, there's a last message that I got uh, saying, good evening. What a great topic. I can uh, totally relate. It's so hard to be both parents. And this is from the Western Cape. Um, so clearly people are really struggling when it comes to what's going on around um, partners, AWOLing. Mm-hmm. Thank you so very much, uh, um, Mervyn. Give us your contact details at Fermulan Attorneys for those who might need your assistance further. Certainly. Thank you so much for, for having me, Patricia. Um, your listeners are welcome to contact us on 010-109-1089. We're based in Johannesburg as well as Pretoria. Um, and they are welcome to go and have a look at our website, www.fermulanlaw.co.za. Well, um, but I'll repeat the number, mm-hmm. 010-109-1089. Excellent. I'll definitely be giving you a call. Not that I'm running away from being my my children's uh, guardian. <laughs> I have no choice. I must stick with my little ones. <laughs> but for any legal advice, I'm coming to you. Thank you very much, Mervyn. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Patricia. SAFM leading the late night conversation.